The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Good morning, church family. I have a confession to make to you. I am not a perfect husband. Shocker, right? I'm going to make a confession for my wife. My wife is not a perfect wife. You say, Pastor Nick, you're getting in trouble. I've got permission. It's okay. The truth is, none of us, my wife and I, we don't expect each other to be perfect. You don't expect your spouse to be perfect. None of us, when we're uh, being completely objective and thinking honestly, have that expectation of our spouse. But oftentimes, I've noticed, and I've fallen into this, and I've, I've definitely seen it happen, while we don't expect our spouse or our bride to be perfect, sometimes we do expect the bride of Christ to be perfect, the local church. And while I wouldn't put that expectation of perfection on my wife, sometimes I do put that expectation on the bride of Christ. And if we're not careful, oftentimes, I mean, we, we think about the church, we think it's the bride of Christ. So it's natural we would have these high expectations for it. It's the body of Christ. So it's natural that we have these expectations for it. And, and I read a quote recently. It's by a guy named Scott Hubbard. And I think it really uh, captures his balance really well. He said, I walked into a church expecting to find an unblemished bride, but instead I found a wife in progress. And I love that quote because it captures so much of the reality of that tension that we often face. We have these expectations of the church, but oftentimes it doesn't meet those expectations because it is in progress. It's in progress because you are in progress. It's in progress because I am in progress. The truth is all of us are in progress in our Christian walk. And as we consider this morning jumping into a connection group, as we consider what Christian community looks like in a church, it's really easy for us to have these high expectations and then get let down when those expectations are met. We expect, man, everybody's always going to be there for me 100% of the time. We expect all of our relationships to always be incredibly deep and incredibly rich. We expect that no one's ever going to let me down. I expect so many people are always going to be there for me. And we create these expectations. And what happens is we don't allow room for the in-progress reality of where the church, where our small group, where we personally really are. And so what we're going to do this morning, we're going to be in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 8. We're going to look at one verse this morning. And what I'd like to do is just, as we unpack this one verse, give us five goals that will give our in-progress state direction. All of us would raise our hand and say, yes, Pastor Nick, I want to grow as a Christian. Yes, I want to grow in Christian community. I want to grow as a bride of Christ. But oftentimes what I found is, like anything in life, when we're not intentional, intentions stay just intentions and not reality. And so my heartbeat this morning as we unpack this verse is to really give us some goals that will help us grow into the image that I think God would have us to, and some goals that I think will help shape our Christian community. Now, I also want to say one other caveat. It's really easy when we hear a sermon like this to think, yeah, so-and-so really needs to hear that right now. So-and-so really needs to grow in their unity. So-and-so really needs to be more sympathetic, right? But the challenge I want to give all of us is, as we listen to the Word of God, and as we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us, I want the question to be in our minds, not who needs this, but Holy Spirit, how do I need this? I don't want this to become something where we have expectations of each other. Instead, the heartbeat and the goal is that as we hear these five goals that we're going to share in just a moment, that we would say, okay, this is what I need to grow in. 
The focus is not on the guy down the road needs this or the lady across the room needs this. The focus is, Holy Spirit, help me to grow in these five goals. Uh, if you are physically able, I'd like to invite you to stand as we read our text this morning, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 8. Uh, today is our Connection Group Sunday. We are kicking off a brand new semester of Connection Group Bible studies, and I'm really excited about it. Uh, I, I believe that God is going to give us a great semester in our Connection Groups. Uh, after I'm done preaching, Pastor Irma is going to come and give us some details on how uh, we can be involved in those Connection Groups. So if you're brand new, sit tight for just a minute. Uh, but let's read our text this morning, 1 Peter chapter number 3, verse number 8. The Bible says, finally, it's the Apostle Peter talking, he says, all of you be like-minded. He says to be sympathetic, to love one another, and be compassionate and humble. Let's pray, and then we're going to look at five goals for our Christian community. Father, you are the God who works wonders. And Lord, we sang about the wonders of your grace. We sang about the wonders of your mercy this morning. Lord, we sang about the testimony of your word and the wonders that it has revealed to us. Lord, you have done wonders in our own hearts and in our own lives. And I pray that you would work wonders over this next 20 minutes. Lord, I have to confess that there's nothing incredibly new in today's sermon. There's, there maybe won't be any um, big kicks of dopamine for people but Lord, you promised that your word won't return void. And so as we dive into this verse this morning, I pray that you would work wonders in our heart. Use this verse to be a catalyst to work wonders in our groups this morning, to work, uh, work wonders in our groups this semester. Lord, I pray that people would be more unified than ever, that our church would grow in demonstrating more and more of your compassion and more and more of your sympathy and Lord, we, it's so cliche when we say doing life together, but Lord, I pray that this semester that would take on a real functional reality. Lord, I pray for our group leaders this morning that you would anoint them as they so often pour out their lives sharing the good news of Jesus. That your spirit would anoint them to lift people up, to bind the broken, to bind the hurting, to encourage those who need encouragement, Lord, to rejoice with those who rejoice like we're going to look at this morning. Do something special and unique in our groups this morning that is bigger and beyond what we could even ask or think for, Lord, because you can do beyond what we ask or think, because you are the God who works wonders. We pray this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the Apostle Peter, he obviously wrote the book of First and Second Peter, and he's writing to a group of Christians who are dispersed throughout Asia Minor, uh, modern-day Turkey is where these Christians would be located, and he's talking to these Christian believers who, in a lot of ways, are suffering for their faith. Uh, they're suffering for their faith because they believe Jesus is the Messiah. They're suffering for their faith because they live in a land that is not friendly to their belief. They live in a land that does not um, accept Christianity. And so these believers that he's writing to, they're suffering a lot. And the Apostle Peter, he writes to them encouraging them. And the truth that he encourages them with is a unique factor of our Christian identity. It's a part of our identity that doesn't really get uh, brought up a lot in Christianity at large. Throughout his epistles, he focuses on the fact that, hey, I know you guys are suffering. I know you're suffering for your faith. I know you're not in your quote-unquote homeland. But he said, that's okay because we are pilgrims. We are strangers. You are uh, sojourners. You're foreigners in this land. A way we could put it is, you are aliens in this land. You are a part of a land that you don't necessarily belong to, 
And that's okay because you have Jesus, and Jesus has redeemed you. And your redemption isn't brought about by blood sacrifices. It's not brought about by tradition that you receive. It's not purchased with money. He says it was brought about by Jesus Christ. And because of that reality that you are now a part of God's kingdom, you don't fit in this world. That's why you're suffering. You're a part of God's kingdom. And as a part of God's kingdom, he says, that should impact the way you live your life. Because the world is so antagonistic against you, what the world needs is to see a visible demonstration of what it looks like to be a Christian. It needs to see a visible demonstration of what it looks like to live for the kingdom of God. And it's not hard for us to hear that and think of how that applies to us today. As Christians, we are strangers in this land. Our first and foremost citizenship is that of heaven. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. And so just like Peter challenges these Christians, the challenge through the Holy Spirit applies to us today that, hey, we are first and foremost citizens of God's kingdom. And that should affect the way we live. And so what we're going to see in our theme this morning is that the way we live in community should be a visible demonstration of our eternal salvation. The way we live in community should be a visible demonstration of our eternal salvation. And right off the bat, first, uh, Peter, he's going to give us our first goal this morning. In verse 8, he says, finally, all of you, be like-minded. All of you, I want you to be like-minded, which leads us to our first thought this morning, and that is we grow together in unity. We grow together in unity. I almost feel like right off the bat, Peter, like he sets the bar really high, right? We're talking, these are goals that we work for, towards. These aren't things we expect to experience perfectly in our groups. These are things that we're all working and all growing towards. And right off the bat, he sets the bar really high by saying, hey, be like-minded. I mean, when you look at our society, when you look at the day and age in which we live, everybody separates over every little thing, don't they? Any form of disagreement, any form of thinking differently is cause for massive division, and it's human nature to do this. It's human nature to divide into tribes and into camps and into denominations and political parties. It's human nature to go and find people that agree with you and think like you and look like you. And as humans, we do that often. And so Peter, he's telling these people who look differently, who think differently, who have different backgrounds. He's telling you, hey, I want you guys who look different, think different to be like-minded. How is that even possible? I mean, I'm looking around this room this morning, and there's about as many differences as there are people. How are we, this incredibly diverse group, supposed to be like-minded? I think the way we flesh out being like-minded, the way we grow together in unity, is by reminding ourselves the most important thing that we have in common. I love Ephesians chapter number four. It really unpacks this truth for us. Ephesians chapter number four, verse number one, the Bible says, therefore, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, he says, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live worthy of your calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Verse three, get this, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you are called to one hope at your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who's above all and through all and in all. How do we as Christians grow at being like-minded? By reminding ourselves the biggest thing we have in common is Jesus. The biggest thing you have in common with everybody else in this room is Jesus. It's the gospel. 
It's the fact that you placed your faith and trust in him and that he is your savior. We remind ourselves of all the things on that list. One God, one faith, one hope, one baptism. That is what we rally around to find our unity in. And that's what the apostle Peter, that's what he's calling us to. That's what Paul, that's what they're calling us to. They said, I want the biggest common denominator in your life to be Jesus. And that is such a big common denominator. He says, every other thing should vanish. Every other natural affinity, every other preference, every other thought process or worldview, all of that fades in comparison when you hold up the fact that we have Jesus. I mean, think about the things that Christians often fight for that aren't on that list that Paul gave us in Ephesians 4. How many times I get irritated because somebody did something different or somebody acted differently or somebody has a different personality. God forbid somebody have a different personality than me, right? Remember, the Apostle Peter, he's reminding us, we're strangers, we're foreigners. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians, I am the prisoner of the Lord. If you and I were thrown into jail tomorrow because of our faith and trust in Jesus, I promise you there'd be a lot of things we wouldn't argue about. We wouldn't bicker over the style of music that we like. We'd just be happy to sing praises to Jesus in jail. We wouldn't argue over which Bible translation we think is the best. We would just be happy to get a scrap of God's word, wouldn't we? I mean, there's so many things that we fight over and that we argue over, and the Apostle Peter is calling us to this like-mindedness, this unity that is built around the person of Jesus. You say, but Pastor Nick, you don't understand. We're not in the same life stage, but do we worship the same Jesus? Pastor Nick, you don't understand. Like, you're as introverted as they come. I'm as extroverted as they come. I'm uber sanguine. You're uber melancholy. There's no way we're going to get along. I'm a jock, you're a nerd. There's, there's no way this is going to get work. But do we, do we worship the same Jesus? Peter calls us to be like-minded. Jesus, as we grow in our faith, becomes the biggest affinity that any of us have that we rally around. And as we rally around Jesus, it's amazing how that puts on display the reality and the power of the gospel. That's why Peter's telling these, these Jewish believers who are suffering and they're being persecuted, he says, rally around Jesus, be like-minded around Jesus, because that's going to tell the entire world that your faith is real. By, all, by this shall all men know you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. The way we love each other, the way we become like-minded with one another. As we grow in our community, we grow together in being like-minded. But Peter goes on, finally all of you be like-minded. And then he says, and be sympathetic. To be sympathetic. So it leads us to our second thought. We grow together in sympathy. We grow together in sympathy. What does sympathy mean? Sympathy means I am going to enter into what you're feeling. It means your feelings become my feelings. It means your sorrow becomes my sorrow. Your pain becomes my pain. Your joy becomes my joy. Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. That verse, in a nutshell, is sympathy. It means I am willing to enter into your pain. I am willing to feel what you feel. And what Peter is calling us to is he's calling us to be sympathetic. Now, granted, I understand we can't enter into everyone's feelings that we ever come into contact with, right? What a roller coaster that would be. <laughs> But the truth is, we could do this for our church family. You could do this for your connection group. 
You can be sympathetic. You can enter into what they're feeling with the people on your ministry team. And yes, we're supposed to enter into each other's difficult emotions and hard emotions and enter into the pain, but this also means we're supposed to enter into the positive emotions as well, right? Rejoice with those who rejoice. We have positive emotions too. So when people in our group are celebrating when life is going good, we should come alongside and celebrate that. We should be excited. Christians should throw the best parties. And I am the most introverted, unparty guy that exists. And I think Christians should throw the best parties. Why? Because out of all the people in the world, we have the best stuff to celebrate. Jesus, grace, mercy, the Holy Spirit, the power of God, God's written word. How many times have people said, I wish life comes with a manual? Folks, we got a manual. I mean, we have something to celebrate. We have something to rejoice. I tell Connection Group leaders all the time, celebrate wins in your group. When your group has a baby be born, celebrate. When your group has a birthday, celebrate. Celebrate holidays. Celebrate promotions. Celebrate, celebrate, celebrate. Just have fun. Sometimes we take ourselves way too seriously and we think, be sympathetic, okay, I need to just enter into everybody's pain. And you should do that. And I think our church does that really, really well. I've seen this play out time and time again over this last year. But folks, let's not forget that this also means celebrate. This also means rejoice with those who rejoice. About a month ago, we were having a birthday party for someone in our group, and it wasn't big. There wasn't a lot of people. I think there were seven of us over. But I have not laughed so much as I did that night. Like, we ate literally the best steak on the planet, and I've had good steak, but the guy that was making this, he just did phenomenal. Like, literally, you put the knife on it, and it would just melt right through it. Now you guys' stomach's growling. You're not thinking about what I'm saying. I mean, while we were cooking the steaks, we had a fire going. We set off all the smoke detectors in our house probably a dozen times. It was great. We had fun. We had a blast. Why? Because we were celebrating somebody's birthday. It was simple. It wasn't a big hoopla. But we were just having fun together. A few weeks ago, I was at a commencement for somebody else in one of my other groups. And I was so encouraged to see people from their ministry team there. Why? Because they just wanted to celebrate the guy that they serve in ministry with. Hey, we put up cones together in the parking lot. Let's go celebrate together. That's what it means to be sympathetic. Yes, we enter each other's pain. Yes, we enter the difficult emotions. But we also celebrate with each other. We also party together, have a good time. So the Apostle Paul, he calls us to be like-minded. We grow together in unity. He calls us to be sympathetic. We grow together in our sympathy. But I want you to notice what he says next. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another. If you were to look up this phrase in the Greek, it's the Greek uh, type of love called phileo. It's brotherly love. In a broader sense, what the Apostle Peter is calling us to is he's like, I want you to love each other like a brother and sister love each other. Which leads us to our next, family, uh, our next point this morning, and that is we grow together as a family. Romans 12.10. You can put it back up. That's great. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Outdo one another in showing honor. Peter's saying, hey, you guys, you're family. Imagine for a minute what it'd be like to live in a group, to be a part of a group that, that took this verse seriously. Like this verse was your motto. This verse was your passion. It was your purpose. We're going to love one another deeply because we're family, and we're going to work at outdoing each other, showing each other honor. I said that all confusing. Outdo each other and show honor. Imagine being a part of a group that would work at that and that would really live that, and that was the culture of your group. 
where, hey, you come in and we're family. And it's not like we got to knock on the door and ring the bell. We can just come on in because we're family. And where there's not this sense of competition and trying to one-up each other, but there's just this sense of I want to outdo each other in honoring each other. I want to love you deeply because you're family. You say, Pastor Nick, where's that group? I want to sign up for that one today, right? Here's the truth. Everyone can make this group, this type of a group, the reality in their group. You say, but I'm not the leader. That's okay. Everybody can experience this in your group by growing and thinking of your group as your family. My group is my family. And so because we're family, we're going to love each other. It's this deep sense of familiarity that comes with long bonds because you've known each other so long. The Apostle Peter says, as believers, you should enter into that because the church is our eternal family. Jesus says, in heaven, we're neither married nor given in marriage. And I'm so thankful for earthly families and how they point us to Christ. And I think we need to work at those and grow those. And they're amazing tools of God's grace in our lives. But when we step into eternity... My wife and I are going to look at each other, and we won't be husband and wife anymore. Now, we'll look at each other, and we'll be like, man, we sure, helped each, we sure helped each other get ready for eternity, right? And we'll be so thankful for that. But friends, the church is our eternal family. Jesus says, my brothers and sisters are those that do my will. The church is our eternal family. Yes, families squabble sometimes, right? Sometimes we don't always like our family, but we always love our family. Families squabble. Families have their tension. The other day I was reading a book to one of my sons who, for the story, I will leave unnamed. And I'm sitting there, we're reading. It's like this perfect picture, perfect moment, right? I'm reading to my son. He's sitting there listening. I'm like, this never happens. This is great. He's sitting still listening. And I'm reading to him. Well, then the other boy, the other son, he comes bouncing along. He wants to be a part. So he jumps up on the couch, jumps behind his brother and me. And he's like leaning on his brother, obnoxiously so. Like breathing down his neck. And it's just like, this, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking this is not going to end well. And sure enough, the son that's being leaned on, he turns around, looks at his brother, and just slaps him in the face. <laughs> and then the brother that got slapped like, Dad, he slapped me! And then the other brother was like, Dad, he's leaning on me! And I'm like, peaceful reading moment's over, right? It went from one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish, power slam! I'm like, great. Family squabble, it's going to happen. But you know what I'm constantly amazed by? How will my children have to go to the doctor for like a checkup or something? And they're scared. Like, oh, I got to get a shot. I'm scared of the doctor. It's amazing how they all, without Sarah and I doing anything, they just rally around each other. It's so neat to watch them. And they're just three, four, five years old, tell each other, it's okay, you can be brave. I'll help you be brave. I'll be with you. So while, yes, families, they're going to have their squabbles. But when a hardship hits a family... Boy, does family step up, right? When hardships come, when difficulties come, it's that family that we go running to. It's that family that steps up. It's that family that'll stay up late with us, that brings the meals, that puts their arms around us and says, hey, it's okay, you can be brave, I'm with you. That's what Peter's calling us to. And as we consider our community this morning, as we consider our connection groups, we want to grow in thinking of my group is my family. So Peter tells us to love one another. Next he says to be compassionate. Be compassionate. Now if you were to study this word out in Greek, it actually has an interesting meaning. 
uh, the, our goal is we want to grow together in our charity, right? So that's, that's what we're going to is We want to grow together in our charity. But if you were to go look up this word, compassion, in the Bible, the literal meaning is having strong bowels. Like, okay, typically you don't talk about having strong bowels on a Sunday morning service, right? Maybe after you ate too much street tacos, but not on a Sunday morning. The idea here is that you love somebody very deeply. It's almost like you love them from the deepest part of you. That's what Peter is getting at. And so what we want to grow in is we want to grow together in our charity and loving one another so deeply, it literally is coming from the deepest part of us. Like we said a minute ago, this is very similar to sympathy. We feel what each other's feelings. We feel the hurts. We feel the pains. And we willingly enter into it. But the difference that charity is, charity says, I'm not just going to feel it, but I'm going to do something about it. Charity, compassion, it's sympathy in action. Compassion is sympathy in action. You see, when we're growing in compassion, what we're going to do is we're actually going to chase after people and we're going to look for people that are hurting. We're going to look for those that are struggling. When people share a struggle in our connection group, our first thought is, Lord, would you please help this person? And Lord, would you show me how I can help this person? Lord, I'm praying that you would work in this person's life. And Lord, I'm wanting to know if maybe I'm the answer to that prayer. Lord, I want to step in. Compassion doesn't just sit idly by and wait for the hurt to present itself. Compassion is pursuing it. Compassion is active. And what the Apostle Peter, he's calling us to, he's like, hey, church, you guys are suffering. You are hurting. You're being persecuted. Don't just sit around and feel sorry for each other, but get up and do something about it. Help each other out. Compassion is sympathy in action. Compassion is willing to sacrifice my own needs so I can help meet your needs. Compassion says, I will put my life on hold so I can help you with your life. Compassion says, I will inconvenience myself so that I can convenience you. Compassion says, I will sacrifice so you don't have to sacrifice. I can think of one of the biggest examples of this in our church this past year has been Karen Bresnik. I don't know, she's going to give me grief for sharing this with her. But over the last year, I have watched how Karen put her own life on hold so she could take care of her connection group leader, Rhonda Burris. And as Rhonda's health continued to decline and continued to decline, the one person who was constantly there was Karen. Literally put her own life on hold for a year so she could minister to her group leader. I can remember on the day that Rhonda passed, Karen shared with me, she said, she said Nick, it's going to be so awkward sleeping in my own home because I've spent so many nights over here. That's compassion. That's what we're talking about. I am willing to put my own life on hold so that I can minister to somebody else. Great passage in Acts chapter number 2. We see this perfectly played out in the New Testament church. Acts uh, 2 verses 44 and 45. Now all believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. They were willing to sacrifice so that they could meet other people's needs. They were willing to say, hey, I got this land over here that I'm not doing anything with, so let me sell it to help meet somebody else's needs. Now, we need to be careful here because, again, the focus in our hearts, and, and, and my heart struggles with this. I will confess that. My heart 
struggles with this. I hear this and I think, I wish so-and-so would do that for me. But the focus is not so-and-so needs to do this for me. The focus is who do I need to do this for? I mean, we, we, we don't want to be the person that shares, uh, like, shares in our group, hey, my finances were tight, and I'm really upset because nobody sold their house for me. Like, don't, don't, don't go there, okay? The focus is, Holy Spirit, who do I, who can I sacrifice for? Who in my group, who on my ministry, who in my church can I give something up so I can help meet their need? The way my wife and I have tried to play this out in our own home, because uh, we're not in a position where we can sell our home, <laughs> um, but what the Holy Spirit has kind of led us to do is just make our home consistently open to people that need it. And so I guess you could call it a policy, what we tell our groups on a regular basis, hey, our door is always open to you guys. My wife and I, were going to be doing four groups this semester, and we say, our, our door is open. If you want to come over and pray, come over and pray. If you want to have a birthday party, come on over. We'll celebrate. Celebrate. Good. Yeah, we'll do it, okay? If you need to come over and have an objective referee so you can have a fight with your spouse, I got the gloves, come on over, right? Say, but what if it's at 9.30? Come over. We have just tried to make ourselves available and, and we don't always get it right. This isn't, this isn't a bragging thing. The reason I bring this up is because I want to share it to you. As we have done our best to live this way, it's amazing how God has taken care of our needs. There's the temptation when we talk about sacrificing to help meet other people's needs this self-defense mechanism creeps up in our heart and we think, well, what about my needs? And we have legitimate needs. And what I want to share with you by way of testimony is very simply that when you live your life to take care of other people and when you regularly try to sacrifice for other people and you make yourself available to other people, God's going to bring people into your life to make themselves available to you. Every time. Every time. When you dedicate your life to serving other people, you will be surrounded by people who can eventually serve you. We've had people buy us plane tickets for getaways. We have had people fix our car. I've got someone coming over this afternoon to help me fix my car. Thank you, Curtis. Um, we've had people let us borrow their car. We've had people watch our kids. We've had people pay for us to go to counseling. I'm just telling you, when you live your life in such a way where you say, and we're not always going to get it perfect, but when you do your best to live out this thing of charity, when you do your best to live out this thing of compassion, and you say, I am willing to sacrifice myself, I'm willing to consistently lay my life down like Jesus, there's going to be people in your life who the Holy Spirit will bring to lay their lives down for you. And so the focus is, who can I help? And then watch as God comes around to help you. Last point this morning. So we've seen we grow together in our unity, be like-minded. We grow together in our sympathy, be sympathetic. We grow together as a family, love one another. We grow together in our charity, be compassionate. Lastly, we grow together in our humility and humble. And humble. We grow together in our humility. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 3 defines humility, I think, really well for us. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition ambition or conceit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Oftentimes we think of humility as this thing that we do in and of ourselves, right? Humility is this thing I do with me. It's between me and God. I just want to grow up being humble. But what I noticed this week as I was studying 
Most of the time when humility gets brought up in Scripture, it gets brought up in the context of other people. And so this verse we see, do nothing out of selfish ambition, but in humility, what do we do? I consider you more important than me. How many of you, by show of hands, think, I'm really good at that? Okay, if you're good at that, you're not being good at it in the moment, but fortunately nobody's raising your hand, right? None of us say, man, I got that one down. That's why Peter is calling us to grow in this, to grow in being humble with your group. And here's the cool thing. When I grow in, in humility with other believers, when I grow in humility with the people in my connection group, when I grow at thinking they're more important than myself, now all of a sudden I'm very motivated to serve them. Now all of a sudden it's really easy for me to be swift to listen and slow to speak because I don't think what I have to say is going to fix their problems. Now, there's nobody that's beneath me to serve because why? Because I consider you better than myself because I'm humble. We grow together in our humility. 1 Peter 5, 5, Peter gives us this. He says, that's not the right verse. Let me turn to it up on the screens. Sorry, guys. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, In the same way, you or her younger be subject to the others. All of you clothe yourselves with humility. Here it is again toward one another. Because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. I tell you, proud pride repels grace. Humility attracts grace. And again, Peter, he's saying, just like you got up this morning and you put on clothes, thank you, by the way, <laughs> I want you to get up every morning and put on humility towards the people in your life. What's that look like? Like we saw in Philippians, I consider you more important than myself. Do you know how much drama that solves right there? Do you know how many less arguments I would have with my spouse if I just would always consider her more important? Like, again, imagine being a part of a group where everybody was, yeah, you're more important than me. And it wasn't a thing. It wasn't like this, I think you're more, because that's, that's not humility, but just this, no, you're, you're more important. Your needs come first. You see, it's often been said that humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And that's true. But based on the biblical way we see humility express itself, I would also add, humility is thinking of yourself less so that you can think of others more. And so here it is, humility, we go low so that we can lift others up. Humility says, my preferences don't matter, I want to serve you. Humility says, oh, my perspective, it's my perspective. But let me enter into your perspective, because I consider you more important than myself, because I put on humility towards one another. You know, the amazing thing about all this is, it's amazing how as we step out <clears throat> into this type of community, the way God blesses us. We don't do it because we want the blessing from God. This isn't like a trade-off. But Peter's very clear, as you step out into community, as you step out to live this way, he says, as you seek to live a life that blesses other people, God will bless you. Look at verse number nine of our text. It literally is the rest of the sentence. He says, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult. On the contrary, giving a blessing. And he's going to describe why we give the blessing, because you were called for this, so that you may inherit a blessing. Giving a blessing so that you may inherit a blessing. Look, as we seek to live our lives to just live in this almost radical type of community, but as we try to grow in it and as we try to lay down our lives by being unified, by being sympathetic, by being family, by being compassionate, by being humble, God blesses us. 
and the help that we get in our groups, the love that we experience in our groups, the acceptance, the people praying for us, the people who could come around us and put their arms around our lives when our lives are wrecked and saying, look, this isn't okay, but you're going to be okay. It's almost like it becomes a means of God's grace in our lives, doesn't it? We give, and when we give, and when we live our lives for other people, God just says, hey, I got your back. <laughs> Let me take care of you. So here's our takeaway for this morning, and then we'll be done. Demonstrate your salvation by growing in community. Demonstrate your salvation. Prove your faith is real by the way you grow in community. Now, I'm a little bit over time, but I want to do this. Um, we have three purposes at a church, right? Commitment, connection, compassion. As I was thinking about this this week, here's, here's how this, our, our sermon plays into it. This all is a result of our salvation, right? Because we're citizens of God's kingdom. And as we grow in understanding that we're citizens of God's kingdom, we grow in these graces. As we continue to yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit, we grow in our community this way. As we commit ourselves to Jesus, we then grow in our connection to the church. And as our connection to the church grows, that becomes the foundation for our compassion to the lost. Because they're going to see, well, wait a minute, there's something real going on over there at Fresno Church. And church, we got big plans this year, don't we? We're asking God to do some wonders. Wonders that we've never seen before. We're stepping out by faith. We want to preach the gospel to more people than ever before. I'm praying that we see more people saved, baptized, and discipled than we ever have before. And what an amazing testament to the fact that God is true and the gospel is powerful if we live this way. Demonstrate your salvation by growing in community. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.